0: Alright, good afternoon, and good morning, and good evening, everyone. This is the 62nd Fireside Chat, coming to you from a lot of countries around the world. Um, pleased to have everyone here today. Thank you for joining us. Today we're going to start with Frank, as Frank had uh, not a chance to ask a question the last time he was on. That one got um, set aside, so please go ahead,
1: Frank. Thank you, Donna. Hey,
2: Tom. Great to talk to you again. Hi, Frank. Um, So you've often said that we have the free will to decide whether we want to play another experience packet in a Mm PMR-style virtual reality. But we almost always decide to do that because sooner or later after our last experience packet, our IUOC gets bored hanging out in, in PMR and thus decides to play another round in the PMR game. On the other hand, I think you've said that some other entities just hang out in in NPMR. They're not interested in joining a PMR. So I wonder, why are they not bored? What what are they doing all day long that would seem (laughs) boring to us? What else is there to do in NPMR?
1: Well, if you've never been in a virtual reality like PMR, then you don't realize how boring what you are in is. So for those who have never been in a virtual reality, to them, that's just the way life is. And they just, you know, they do what they do, but it's a very, very slow track compared to being in a, in a PMR. So, but they don't realize it because they've never had that experience. They've never had the contrast. So they don't really notice that much so yes i've run into entities who have had no association with pmrs they've just been out there but they uh they don't evolve very quickly they uh you know they don't they don't have consequences now it's not so much that none of them have consequences in any sense sometimes there's groupings and they have interactions between them but it's more like interactions in a dream what we would call a dream space where the rule set is not very strong rule set. So they do have interactions with others and so on, but it's, it just doesn't have the consequences that it, that it has here. But over time they can evolve. It's not that that's an impossible place to evolve. It's just the slow track. It doesn't challenge you nor give you the consequences that almost everything you say and do here has consequences unless you say and do it by yourself, you know, in a, in a closet, then there's very few consequences. But if you're, if you're in, interacting with other people, most everything you say, most everything you do as you interact with other people has consequences outside of you. And that's not true if you're in a, a dream reality, kind of a, you know, a, a, still a rule set, but just a very minimal rule set. So they don't notice that, that they're bored. <laughs> they're not bored because they don't, they've never been to a place that was a lot faster. Sort of like people who, um, who live in a big city. You know, if you know people who spent all their life in a big city and then they go to live out in the country someplace, they have a similar sort of thing. They go out into the country and after about six months or a year of that, they're wondering what to do. They feel not stimulated. They feel like life is too slow. So So it's it's a similar, yeah, it's a similar sort of, sort of thing. It's what you get used to. If you're used to that slow life, you go to the big city and life is way too fast and too much is happening all at the same time and it gets confusing and you realize that most of it is very shallow and doesn't have much meaning and you want to go back to the country. You know, it's, it's kind of what you get used to is, is what you like and that's the way it is with them.
2: So basically the, the virtual reality like ours is is where all the action is, right? So it's a kind of um, because sometimes when we describe it as a, as a learning lab um, or a tool for us, it looks like it's just a tool to achieve something bigger or to do something else afterwards. Or so when it's likened to a flight simulator, for example, then, I mean, a real flight simulator, once you've learned flying, then you go out and you go somewhere else to fly a real plane but right. that's maybe where the metaphor here breaks down because we, right. I mean what PMR is a learning lab, but it's actually the place to be even for, you know, so for, for I don't know right. how many times and, and um, right. I've been thinking about that. And actually that really um, puts more value into MP, uh, into, into PMR, like how that we should really make it beautiful and, 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 and maintain it and, and not, you know, screw up the planet and, and everything we do here like uh, beethoven symphony it was composed once but if we don't destroy the planet it's gonna make this place beautiful for forever almost so so there is a, a lot of, it's it's not just a tool here a learning lab but it's um it, it's a purpose in itself right
1: exactly you're exactly right so yeah the the metaphor of of the um flight trainer um is limited although you could say that there are dozens of flight type programs out there, virtual realities, and you'd like to go get into a flight trainer that just has you practice flying. So then when you get into these other virtual realities, you'd be more competent at, at flying a vehicle. You know, you might say that, but it's, it's really even more than that. As you say, it's a way of life. It's a way of being. It's not just a, an experience to go have that helps you go do something else. It's an experience to go have that helps you be. That helps you evolve, that helps you uh you know in your purpose. So it's not yeah, just a, a thing we do for a while. It's 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 our life. And it's so just that we can, we can get we can learn faster here than we can not here.
2: And when we've learned really a lot here, then what do we do next? When, do we go out and help build other flight simulators and other learning labs? Or we we, we can join the the administration or
1: all of those or are we possible. Really just
2: go back again and again to help other people within this virtual reality.
1: Yeah, the answer is all of the above. You know, wherever you're most needed, wherever, um, in whatever situation, provides you with the greatest opportunity for growing and with the greatest opportunity to help other people grow. So the growth thing is the you know the lowering entropy. That's that's the prime mover. That's the cause. it's what we're trying to accomplish that's the goal and however you can best do that requires you to work both on yourself and help others because you get more helpful to others the more that you grow up yourself if you're not very grown up you're pretty limited in what you can do to help others so you constantly have this this dual mission to grow yourself and to help others grow themselves and if you can do that best by just coming back here and coming back here, then that's what you can do. Or you can go to some other virtual reality, some other PMR, and you can work there because maybe they have a greater need than than here. Uh, Or, you know, you might do something else, right? You may may envision a different kind of PMR and, uh, you know, start a whole new project, you know, in a different way. So I don't think there's really any limitations. The only limitation is that the – Long term end product needs to be lower entropy. Anything you can imagine, anything you can create or anything you can put yourself in that aids that goal, then it's open to you. You can you can go do that.
2: And because evolution is open ended, there are things that I mean we as normal humans anyway we can't imagine, but even very evolved beings cannot imagine because you never know what what the whole product can be in the end, right
1: exactly when you get well just just us in this virtual reality in this particular planet, there's seven and a half billion of us. you get seven and a half billion people all with free will, and what could the what are all the possible outcomes of that you know it's you know if you if you just do the math of it, if you have uh, you know seven and a half billion independent things all interacting. <laughs> What is the, what are the number of possibilities of interactions? You see, it's just, it's so, so huge that it's mind boggling. You can't even think about what that might be. But now you have a system that's got multiple PMRs and multiple processes and processes outside of PMRs. And if you mix all of that up, what's the potential of that system? It's, you know, I, I won't say it's infinite because infinity isn't a real thing but it's about as close to infinite, I guess, as we can, as we can imagine. So yes, the, it's open-ended. The system will just keep evolving. And, you know, one might think that, well, eventually perhaps you'd get to the point where it had evolved to where there weren't any new spaces to get into. Theoretically, that would be the case. You know, there's nothing, you know, if you keep lowering your entropy, you'll get to a point where it's harder and harder to find more entropy to lower. But, that is, that boundary is so far away that it really doesn't deserve a whole lot of thinking. And the point is, if that's the case, this particular virtual reality got to the point that it wasn't real useful anymore, then you'd make a different virtual reality with a different kinds of rule sets and different kinds of interactions that would be more useful. So, you know, it's a, in that way, it is a, it is a tool that suits where we are now as individuated units of consciousness it's a tool that suits us if we outgrow this tool i'm sure we will have uh, generated new tools that will suit us better but it's hard to think of running out of potential that's that's almost unimaginable given the fact that all of these people have free will because even though sometimes people grow up and lower their entropy Sometimes after that, they'll turn around and increase their entropy for a while too. You know, it just happens. So it's not like it's a monolithic, uh, monotonic increase that the entropy for everybody is always decreasing, you know, all the time. And we're going to get to a point where we can't decrease it anymore. There's those evolving in a positive direction, those evolving in a negative direction. And most everybody in between is bumping up and down between those two. You know, we take a couple of steps forward and a couple of steps backward and sometimes we take a whole lot of steps backward before we get back and taking steps forward again. It's just the nature of the game. So it's a it's a slow process of us growing up. So I I don't see that we're gonna run out of options anytime soon.
2: Mm. And um just as a last thing that I would like to say, um so even if the whole thing is evolved and evolved much farther than we, we can imagine right now, but it will not merge all back into one thing. So the MBT model is not like some other spiritual models, like it's not cyclical, that it evolves to the point that it's ex- exploited all the options and that's almost like, you know, the, the, the beginning and then it goes back. So it's 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 not an No it's not cyclical, right?
1: no it's not a cycle like that at all you see it started out as one monolithic thing and it found that to be very limiting no matter how evolved that monolithic thing is a monolithic thing is very limiting you've only got one free will making choices you know that's a very that's a very limited system so You don't want to go back toward that system. It's not that everybody, all the IUSCs are going to grow up and return to the Godhead and become one with, you know, with Ahom, home and, and now we're all done. Well, now we're back to where we started. Well, we may be a level up or two from where we started, but we're still back at the same problem. Wherever it is you are, you can do better, if you're a monolithic thing, by breaking into subsets of yourself and interacting with them. See, so it's not really cyclical in the sense that we grow up and then we return and and, uh, disappear. You know, we are individuated units of consciousness, and as such, we remain. We remain that. Now, as free will awareness units, we do not remain. If you're a free will awareness unit, when your avatar dies, then the free will awareness unit just gets reabsorbed. And no longer is an independent thing. It's gone. Well, you know, that's, that's not really cyclical either. That's just a temporary partition of some of the IUOC that, you know, once it, it's jobs over, then it just goes back into the labor pool, if you like, and, you know, gets another job once that job's over. And, uh, so no, we don't, we, our, our purpose isn't to merge. Our purpose is to emulate, not merge. So we would like to grow up to as much as we can. And the LCS has been working on that, growing up a lot longer than we have. And it's probably bigger and brighter and smarter than we are too. So it's further ahead on this progression, but it's still progressing as well. It's still progressing, so we're trying to be all we can be, which is we'd like to be like the LCS. Well, by the time we get there, the LCS will probably be something else, you see. So it's it's emulation is what we're doing. you are em, we're emulating that uh, that source, not trying to end ourselves in it, or merge with it, or become it. I think there's a Kind of a an emotional satisfaction in finding things in cycles. It's like you know, it's a, it's it's a um, you know, you have the beginning and you have the ending, and it's all kind of neatly packaged. But evolution isn't like that. Evolution is not a neat package. Evolution is open ended, and it just evolves and goes wherever it can go. However, it goes there, and that's different. So it's not as I don't know, warm and cuddly, uh, a concept as one that's, that's in a cycle. Cycles kind of all neat and patent and, and self-contained, if you will. But the evolution is not. Evolution just chugs on and the next state that it gets to is dependent on the last state that it got to. So there's really lots and lots of unexplored states. Because had the last state been different, then the new state would have been different. So there's, there's lots of space that we don't even explore. We just explore down a thread of, of our own choices. That's just one thread. So Thank takes you. us a long, at that, at that one thread level, it's going to take us a long time to explore, you know, all the things we need to explore as, as IUOCs. Thank you.
0: We have a new participant today, Natalie. Um, welcome to the fireside chat, and please go ahead with your question. Hello, thank you, Donna. Um,
3: first, I want to say, for short, uh, thank you, Thomas Campbell, for writing down your theory and um, sharing all the stuff for free. Um, it already helped me a lot, and um, yeah, gave me a lot of new viewpoints, and. Um, The question I want to ask you is um, how you think about our relationship to the Earth and if you see the Earth as known entity with an individuated consciousness or is it more like um, it's it's just material? And um, I'd like to understand how it's possible that um, um, if you walk mindful through the earth and um, go into nature, there can get these high feelings inside of you, and um, they can make you so so free and um, yeah, lowering your entropy and bring you into love. Even so, is it a kind of conversation between me and or between the human and the earth, or is it more like just something that is created inside of my inside of me
1: all right i can talk to that the you know the earth itself is you know it depends on how we define words but let me try to make the definitions clear and i would say that the earth itself is not conscious in the sense that the earth is constantly making choices you know oh i'm going to choose to do this i want to choose to have an ocean over there and i want to choose to have a volcano erupt over here it's not that the earth is making uh choices like that but there is a collective consciousness that we can talk about that is that is a collective of all the conscious things on the earth that is Something that you can tap into and something that is available. You can connect to everything in that sense. And even things like trees, I think have an awareness. I wouldn't say they're conscious because I'm not sure yet that they make choices, but they certainly are aware. They are aware of their environment and they can, they can, um, And you can, well, let's put it this way. You can sense them and you can interact in some way with that. But they are just as they are and you can interact with them. But what you mainly feel when you walk in a woods and you feel nature and you just feel the connection and you feel that, that, that energy starts pouring into you because you're connected to this, this outside world. When you feel that, you are largely getting in touch not with yourself but with source with the source with what i call the larger consciousness system you're in touch with source and source basically is everything source is everything source can play the part of every blade of grass and every leaf on the tree you know and every tree in the forest so source is there and as you are open to Bigger pictures as you're open to feeling, you know, to feeling, um, like I say, things to be, to be interacting in ways that are non confrontational, that are not ego based. You know, you're just open to whatever is. Well, source is there to interact with you. So it's not just yourself. It is something outside of you that you're interacting with. And it is beautiful and it is grand and it is, still and quiet and, and replenishes you with energy. It's got all of those attributes, but, you know, it's because of you that you're able to make that connection. Somebody else can walk in the woods and not see anything other than woods or streams or rocks, and there's nothing there except things for them to use. Oh, I can climb on the rocks or I could climb up the tree or I could, you know, chop down a tree and make paper with it, or, you know, they see the natural world as something they can use. And they don't experience what you experience, because they don't open themselves to it. So it's partly what you experience is because of the way you are. And being open like that to make that connection, then source connects with you, and connects with you in a way that's very meaningful. And I think you'll find that when you're in that connection to nature, you can ask questions you can say, you know, well, you know, what should I do next? You know, where, where's my path, best path forward, uh, this and that. You can, you can ask questions and you'll get answers. And it's not like you're talking to the trees and the trees are giving you answers or the rocks are giving you answers. You're connected with source. So the source can, can talk to you. And, you know, maybe, um, if, if you have a, a belief that the trees are are all conscious and that you can have conversations with particular trees then the source will talk to you as a tree the source can talk to you and and uh, you know it can take on the guise if you will of that tree to communicate with you again to help you grow to put you in a growing space so it's not that people who talk to trees or talk to rocks or have personal relationships with crystals or anything. It's not that those people are just imagining things and it's not real. It's just mostly they're talking to source and that thing they're using, be it a, a tree or a rock or a crystal is just kind of a, a, an aid to help them focus their intent at a deeper, more profound level and interact with source at that level. So that's mostly what's what's going on. But I define consciousness as something that that makes free will choices. In other words, you have to make a choice because this I could do this or that, and I get to make the choice which one it is. And trees may one day, or at least some trees may one day fall into that category because the more we do science, the more we realize how clever trees are, how they interact and communicate with each other and so on. But we don't know yet for sure whether that's just algorithmic. In other words, they do that just because the biology leads them to do that. You know, they've learned to cooperate with fungus and cooperate with other chemicals, and they've got this cooperative thing. Well, you can have cooperative relationship with things that aren't conscious, things they just interact because that's what their, you know, that's what their code tells them to do. In other words, it's all hardwired. It's not really choice making, even though it looks like choice making. It's not really choice making. Just like your computer, you can, uh, you know, a computer can give you choices. A computer can ask you questions, but that doesn't mean the computer's conscious. It just means you're, you're, the algorithms are written such that it's interacting with you and giving you cho- and, and giving you choices and making choices itself. It can decide whether or not to show you a spelling correction or not. You know, and that depends on how you set up your inputs that that uh, define its algorithms. So it, it it makes choices based on on that. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. Those feelings you get out there, they're real, and they're they are connecting to something that's outside of you, and it can be a very beautiful, very fulfilling thing. That does not require all the rocks and bushes to be conscious. That's that's kind of a metaphor we can use, but it's not necessarily the case. Mostly I think you're talking to source. Source is all those things. And if you ever get into the to the um, state of consciousness where you kind of are one with the source, and that's that's a state that, that anybody can get to if they, they work on it. They can get to a state where they they kind of merge with the one temporarily often it's a being of white light and they just you know go into it and merge with it and when you're in that state you feel that you are all those things you're every leaf you're every blade of grass you're every person everything every rock you are all of it and you feel all of it and at the same time you have no individual identity you don't see yourself as you know as as uh, an individual person you just see yourself as everything, all at once. Okay, so that's a that's kind of a a state of having an attitude of being one with everything, and that's something you can you can learn to experience. I don't know, maybe you've experienced it already, but in a sense, that's what you're doing. Then you're talking with Source, which is everything.
3: Thank you very much. That's something I can work with. I understand. Thank you.
0: And thank you for your question. We'll go next to Jen or Jan. Thank you.
4: <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, I also just wanted to say thank you um, for the work uh, that you've put in and that you helped so many people to overcome their fear or to see some different perspectives of the life, Uh, especially for me as well. it helped quite a bit through painful times. So uh, my question today um, is about um, how strong um, a global belief system can be and what the influences are. I wrote it down. Uh, Just read it. So I thought about the possibility of the people of this world accepting and experiencing the concept of virtual reality. So that they actual actually knowing it, like not believing but knowing. And with all its causal logical steps. And I thought is it then possible to change the rule set or the common expectation of things happening? Or will the rule set stay the same to encourage specific learning situations? For example, if the majority knows that we live in a computed reality, more things will be possible because of less limitations in healing, communicating, communication, manifesting. Um, I would tell an example because uh, in the past where uh, magical stories were um, like a common thing to appear, uh, today it's really uncommon. So the belief system changed, it's not really that possible anymore, and maybe in the past, these creatures or these metaphors for specific things were um, actually real, like the system was creating it because it was helpful for the people, but today we are not believing in it anymore, and so therefore, it's not in the range of possibilities, but if we are Mm -hmm. starting to see it again, that it's possible in a larger larger spectrum, then uh, we might be able to create new uh not technologies but um ways of thinking to make possibilities more open you know what, what i mean
1: yes Mr. i do yes okay. uh it um you are correct it does work that way now it's not because the rule set changes the rule set doesn't change much it's it's what basically defines our virtual reality and the virtual reality um, you know that rule set is necessary to keep the virtual reality stable and working, so the rule set doesn't change so much, But the thing I call the psi uncertainty principle, that's not really a rule set. that's not part of the rule set. That's more company policy, and yes, indeed, that can change. So if you're at a time where the quality of consciousness is generally pretty pretty low. And people understand that they can modify uh, other people's opinions by using their consciousness to, you know, uh, interact with them or that they can uh, make people sick or make people well, you know, by using their mind to heal. They can make their boss more likely to give them a promotion, you know, if they uh, keep sending their boss that message. Well, where you have low quality people, you really don't want that understanding get around because it's just going to be abused more than it is going to be used you want you want people to have to earn their way there figure that out on their own because they're seekers and they don't really get to the point where they're they can do that very well until they have grown up a bit though their quality of consciousness is has uh, developed some so yes that that psi uncertainty principle is a You know, I say company policy, you know, not really a rule set, and that can change. And as we evolve, then just the opposite will be true. In order to communicate with others telepathically and to heal and do other things will be very common. People will do that just the way we, you know, get up and walk around now, you know. It'll just be part of the way people are. And... That will be when we have a quality of consciousness that's positive enough to deal with that, so that the great majority of the people are going to use it, not abuse it. And the abusers will be contained because there'll be a lot of there'll be a much greater number of people um, that are using it positively. Those positive people can contain the abusers. You see, but if you have a vast majority of abusers, the small minority of those that are using it properly can't contain that vast majority of abusers. It doesn't work that way. So when when the majority become, um, what, uh, higher quality, then yes, there'll be a lot more things that can be done that will be commonplace than there are right now. And there are some examples of that. If you go back... To the 1800s, there was a big surge in spiritual type thinking. Back in the eight, back at the time of Theosophy, back at the time of uh, um, you know, Ledbetter and Blatsky and and uh, a whole bunch of others, even um, uh, Krishna, Krishnamurti kind of lived back in that in that period if you go back then you will find that there was a big interest in the paranormal then and they had science people just like today would go out and their science people then were probably more open minded than they are today but they would go out and uh, investigate these things and they found any number of pla- of times and places where reputable people had come to investigate and they found things called ectoplasm And this ectoplasm was losing out of people and going places and doing things. And, you know, they have photographs of it and, uh, you know, the eyewitness descriptions. And they were into, uh, what was the other thing they were doing? Oh, table tipping and table, you know, um, levitation where people would sit around and put hands up on a table and, you know, the, the table would go up and so on. And of course, the general society said that's all bogus and, you know, it's all tricks and, and wires and, and dishonest. But there were a group of scientists from various countries that would go around and validate that some of that was indeed true. Well, how come in the 1800s, we can have ectoplasm oozing around and in the, you know, in the 2000s, we can't? Well, it's because at that time, science was not good enough and adept enough to be able to take that apart and analyze it. Therefore, there was enough uncertainty that would surround it that it was allowable. And because the number of people who would find it credible was small, it didn't really affect the larger population. So that made it okay. Well, today, that wouldn't be okay, you see. So now, is there such a thing as ectoplasm? No, not really. That's just a metaphor. In those days, they had the sense that if you were going to affect something, then something had to reach out and touch that thing you affect. This this action at a distance hadn't really gotten hold yet, okay? So they needed something as a medium to go between the person doing it and the thing that was happening so they came up with a metaphor they called it ectoplasm because it was non-physical but sort of physical sort of non-physical it was in the physical system but it was a a subtle substance you know they call it subtle which means it's non-physical you see so they needed this because of their beliefs so no there is no ectoplasm but did something actually ooze out of people and had pictures taken of it yes The system let all that happen because it was using that metaphor because that metaphor was useful at that time. You see, to communicate with people, you needed that metaphor. So, yes, all sorts of strange things might happen and have happened that don't happen anymore just because times change. And we change. Our ability to do analysis changes. Our beliefs change. You know, before... Before. Everybody went out of body, had a silver cord, and that silver cord was like a, a, an air hose down to a deep sea diver. It connected them, it connected the non-physical subtle body to the body, and if that cord got broken, oh, well, both of them would surely die, because the subtle body wouldn't have any real body to inhabit, and the real body wouldn't have a soul anymore, it would go off, so, you know, it was death to both, so that cord was a lifeline. Well, that's because they believed that that going out of body, actually something oozed out of the body, that it lived in your head someplace and it oozed out the top of your head. Well, when you have that belief, then you have to see things like silver cords, you see. And, oh, they looked at the silver cord and they touched the silver cord and they pulled on the silver cords. They did whatever, you know, that you could do. And those silver cords were real, no doubt. But then you get up to Bob Monroe you know, in the in the 1970s, not late 1960s and 70s, and that belief that wasn't so strong anymore. We didn't have that belief, so Bob Monroe didn't have a silver cord. And almost all the out-of-body after that didn't have any silver cords. It was no longer necessary. So the system didn't have to put that in to make it make sense to the people who were doing it. So the system is going to give you a data stream that makes sense to you, so you can interpret it. It would be no, it wouldn't be valuable for the system to give you a data stream that you couldn't interpret. And part of the restrictions on how you interpret things are your beliefs. You know, depending on your beliefs and your fears, that determines how you, how you can interpret things. So the system will give you things that let you interpret which means it has to take into consideration what your fears and beliefs are when it gives you a data stream. Otherwise, it's not a very good communicator. It's communicating to you in terms that you can't process. And what's the point in that? So, yes, there's all sorts of things that may be possible as we change and grow up that are not possible right now. And there are things that have been possible in the past that we no longer see anymore and we don't do anymore because it's, we now have mass media, we now have, uh, you know, we didn't have, we now have internets, we now have uh, much more sensitive scientific equipment, so a whole lot of things that were workable in the 1800s don't work anymore. Otherwise, they would violate the psi uncertainty principle, and too many low-quality people would learn things that they're not really ready to deal with yet. So this way, we don't try to hide it. I mean, we talk here about all these things, but most of the people who you don't want to know about that and not understand it will never will never look at a fireside chat because they already know from their beliefs and fears that that's all nonsense. So it just works out fine. The people who are searching, they will find it, and they will get it, and they will use it, and they will grow up. The people who already know everything aren't searching, because they know all that's impossible. So they just ignore it and go the other way. So it works. You don't really have to hide it. It's like the best kept secrets are in plain view. You know, it's just, uh, you don't need to go around and, and, and sneak around in, in the, in the shadows. You can be very open. And those who are seeking will find and those who aren't won't.
4: Well, yeah, as I thought, it's, um, makes a lot of sense. It's like, um, um, uh, not visiting, but um, like meeting meeting other people when you're open and not uh, like when there's uncertainty for, for yourself in regards to other people, then there is more room for them to, to express themselves fully, I guess. That was my experience, at least in the past, where I, I um, constantly was getting information about, well, I'm not good enough. And, and it was not my information. It was more of, of the other person and... Um, I was inside encouraging and, and having a good intention towards the other person, which, or who was not, uh, self confident enough. And I felt that, and, um, I was having just that feeling of, you can do this. You're all right. You're fine. And, um, I had an experience in the couple last two years where I was really afraid and um, I was constantly looking for um, other people doing something that is uh, like controlling my environment. If I do it right, or how how to do things right to not get in trouble, so to say. Like, um, mm-hmm. and that changed quite a bit because of fear and psychosis and so on. Like, it's it's a build up
1: thing. Yeah, yeah. And well, just I- just keep in mind that when you say you you get things from other people that what you get from other people is your inta your interpretation of what you get from other people. So reminder. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything you get from, you know, when you get something and you say, Oh, I can really feel that from somebody else. That's your interpretation of what you get based uh, on my first. experience. Yeah. Based on your own experience yeah. and your own fears and your own beliefs and so on. So we never get a, you know, we don't get any, you know we can't turn data into information except taking it in through our own filters that's the way it is so another person may send out data but what you get out of that data has to do with your own interpretation of the data and that's why as you grow up everything gets clearer and clearer and easier and easier because those those, those filters get uh, more and more neutral and less and less biased
4: all right yeah makes makes a lot of sense it's, it's, it, That that fits well with my experience yeah all right thank you
0: thank you for your question um we're going to determine whether gary will ask his question on audio are gary are you ready
5: uh, i am yes can, can you hear me yes, yes. No, you
1: fine
0: yeah
5: okay then i'll go ahead uh hi tom um you often say that uh, infinity is an abstract concept and it's therefore not real and that since the lcs is real it is therefore finite Hmm. Uh, the unreality of infinity is very clearly demonstrated when materialists are unsuccessfully trying to explain the concept of infinite space Hmm. Uh, from their perspective if you consider what is at the outermost edge of the cosmos they either have to say there is no outer edge because space is infinite or if they try to define the whole cosmos as an actual size, then the question arises, what is at the end? If it's some Mm -hmm. kind of cosmic wall, what in material terms is behind the wall? Or put another way, what is the expanding universe expanding into? Mm -hmm. If I'm understanding correctly, MBT explains that in a virtual reality, space is defined by three coordinates, X, Y, Z, and that to create more space, simply requires increasing those values yes that is beautifully simple and very understandable however i find it difficult to understand the same kind of logic when applied to time in the mbt model time is real and linear it defines change by virtue of the before and after state and without change Mm -hmm. everything would be permanently static However, if time is real, it cannot, by your own definition, be infinite. For me, anyway, it is impossible to imagine a, be- a beginning or an end to time, even within the rule set of a virtual reality, as that seems to contradict the process which is one of the few assumptions of your model. Although RUOCs can evolve and de-evolve, in the larger picture of the LCS, surely the evolution of consciousness, the general trend, can only go in one direction indeed you have previously confirmed this when you have said that consciousness evolution is never done that logically conscious can never say i'm fully evolved i'm done so if time is not infinite because it is finite and therefore real how does mbt explain this please
1: okay um first of all in the, with the assumption in mbt with the assumption that consciousness exists and with the idea that consciousness is an information system just defining what consciousness is and information systems make information and communicate information then that basic assumption that consciousness exists brings with it several other things so other other logical um uh, what should we say um some other things that are that that have to be included with it and one of those is time so if consciousness exists and evolution exists then time exists and free will exists if you don't have free will then conscious choices don't exist there are no choices if you don't you know if, if you uh, don't have free will then a choice isn't a choice uh, and the choice has no purpose it just is and, you know, things just are and remain that way forever. So it's kind of the null set that doesn't go anywhere. So in my model, time, where time comes from or the beginning of time, isn't discussed. It just is. It starts with consciousness and with the idea of, of uh, evolution, a, a system that can change itself, will change itself to suit its its interior and exterior environments. So that's where the time comes from. And then later on, Regular time is produced by a by just a, a cell doing a flip flop between a one and a zero which becomes a metronome. All right. Now that defines time that always runs forward and it's it's well I shouldn't say it it always runs forward even in the first case, but now it's regular. Okay, you can you can order things by time at that point. Now when we get to the end point and say that the system the I don't see any end to it. That theoretically, and I said this uh, the very first question, was that uh, you know what what happens if the system fulfills all of its potential and it can't lower entropy anymore? It's gone as far as it possibly can go. Well, that is some sort of a theoretical point that perhaps the system could get there. Uh, you know, we can say that in theory, but in practice, I think that that will never happen. Not only are there so many um possibilities as to make it very difficult to think that they could ever all be researched but things are changing all the time it's not a static system that has a fixed number of possibilities every time choices are made new possibilities spring up so it generates possibilities as it goes it generates potential as it goes when something you know when we when we do something like invent an internet, that changes the potential in in social interaction. Just goes up immensely because now people people can speak to each other more easily than they could before, more readily. So the potential of what people can do interacting um, goes way up. So that's typically the way it is. The lower the entropy is, not only is it using up these the sense of the of the the possible space that it could grow into but it's creating new space to grow into itself it's creating new potential so i don't i don't want to say that that's infinite i mean i could say that using infinity as a metaphor but my point is that infinity makes a fine metaphor but it is not an adjective to describe a real thing so time doesn't go on endlessly but i don't see any end to you know time going on if that makes sense so i would agree with you um basically with what you said we don't we don't see a beginning of time it just is we don't see a beginning to consciousness that just is because from inside where we are that is information that's outside of our system and it's just beyond our ability to to reach that kind of information that doesn't mean that that uh you have to have some kind of infinite regression you know a cause and cause and cause that doesn't make any sense either you just have to stop at the point that says i don't know because it's outside my the space that i can work in it's outside the consciousness system it precedes consciousness it precedes evolution because you can't have consciousness and evolution if you don't have things like time and free will so those things Come in as a as a as a uh, an assumption, and as far as the end on the other end, it's just open-ended. It just keeps on working as far as I can see. So I don't, I can't see any end to it. And I could say, well, it'll go on forever, but I don't know that. I'm not sure what will happen. Maybe a particular um, PMR like this one may may hit a dead end one day. And if it did, well, you could always start up another one, different rule set, different sorts of things. So even if that dead ends, it doesn't dead end the consciousness system. You see, even if our seven and a half billion people with, with free will run out of things to do, that doesn't make the system run out of things to do. So I just say that it can, it tends to go on. It's open ended. I don't see any end to it. I don't say that it's infinite. I don't say that it's not. It's just from our point of view, we can't see any further than it's open-ended, creates potentiality and new states to move into as it goes, and doesn't see, I mean, we can't see here from our viewpoint, any end to it or any beginning to it, either one. So I think we pretty much agree on, on that. So infinity indeed is a is a a um you know it's a concept it's not a it's not a place you don't ever get to infinity and say ah so this is what infinity's like okay here I am I'm at infinity now that's logically impossible it can't exist as a place or a thing or a spot it's just a concept.